Advent is a season of waiting on purpose. A season where we are willing to do whatever we need to do to prepare our souls to welcome Christ deeper into the, reassess, re, into the recesses of our life and being. Children. <laughs> yep. There are adults in the back who are looking like children waving at me. <laughs> so children up to second grade, you are freely set free from this place right now to go to the other side and then we'll see you afterwards. Thank you so much, John and Bob. And I kind of looked up and, you know, whenever you see Bob born like this in the back, it's usually not good. Let me read that to you again. <laughs> Advent is a season where we are willing to do whatever we need to do to prepare our souls to welcome Christ deeper into the recesses of our life and being. Ruth Haley Barton. I read that. That's extra. That's, that's free. That's not part of my sermon. But here's my question to myself, and you can ask yourself if you'd like. Jeff, are you willing to do whatever you need to prepare your soul to welcome Christ deeper into the recesses of our lives. That's why we're looking at Luke chapter 3. You heard that passage that Pastor Fern read for us. Luke chapter 3, and if you have it on your device or you have a Bible with you, a physical Bible, we would invite you to turn there. Um, but listen to how Luke, as we heard read earlier, listen to how he sets the historical table. It's very important. Words in the Bible are not just there just to kind of fill in the pages. There's a reason Luke 3, 1 through 6 is what it is. And next week when we get to the, the most exciting Christmas passage of all when John the Baptist calls the other people the brood of vipers, that's an exciting Christmas passage, isn't it? Well, listen to this historical table that he sets. Luke writes, In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor, he says Herod was, you know, his brother, or Herod was there, his brother Philip was there, Lysanias, the high priesthood of Anna and Caiaphas, hear these names, okay? Those are actual names, those are real people. Those are historical human beings. It seems like when you read that, it's a bookmark in the annals of ancient history. But it's more than that. Because you see, these names represent something. They represent violence and oppression. Just not too many years before this, Tiberius exiled all the Jews out of Rome. Why? Because he could. He was the emperor. These words represent a lust for power and celebrity and fame and conflict. Lots of conflict. Turmoil. These words, Anna and Caiaphas, high priests, they recognize legalism and elitism. Archaeologists think they found Caiaphas's house. It was four stories high. And it was this picture, really, that they found of this co-opting of religion and politics where he became wealthy and strong and even oppressed the religious people 
he had charge over. You see, those names are listed there because they're not trying to ascribe a, a date to fix, though that's, you could do that with this, somewhere around 27 A.D. But they're rather describing the conditions of the times, much like ours. They were anything but peaceful. John the Baptist steps into this. Now, the mystery of God can look very odd. Sometimes Christmas can be odd. I had the most odd, odd, oddest thing happen to me yesterday. When I was with our daughter, Krista, and my son-in-law, Matt, we happened to be going around the Milford Oval. If anyone went around the Milford Oval yesterday around noontime, you saw the most amazing thing. It was odd. It was strange. I, see, I was under the impression that Santa Claus hung out with reindeer. And here was Santa Claus to my right. Well, two Santas, I must say. On the one side of the oval, there was Santa Claus with his llama. So I tried to figure out how that goes. Rudolph the red-nosed llama, you know. Then I drove around to the other side of the Milford Oval, and there was a police van with Santa Claus. I don't know what was happening there. <laughs> but sometimes Christmas can really bring some odd characters out. And the mystery of God can look odd. If this season leads us to anything, it must lead us to mystery. Mystery that we find in the Christmas Christ, God with us. And if you don't hear anything today, and you hear this, I think it would be good. The day we determine that our reasonableness and our rationality have no room for mystery, that's the day when we lose the ability to stand in awe of the God who reminds us in Isaiah 55 that my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So you see, see, the moment we miss, lose sight of mystery, we will never understand God with us, Emmanuel. And that's why I love John the Baptist. Because he's part of the mystery of the coming Christ. Because John seems in so many ways out of place. He seems odd. He seems out of place this season. He seems mysterious this season. Philip Reinders reminds us, John the Baptist has always felt like the anti-Santa needed for our day. Trade the jolly laugh for an in-your-face intensity, the twinkle in the eye for a wildness about to interrupt your life, commanding our attention but always redirecting it towards Jesus. John the Baptist is always redirecting attention towards Jesus. And so this year, not just once, but this Sunday, next Sunday, we walk with the character of John the Baptist in this divine drama. Now, over the years now, I cannot count the number of times I've preached on John the Baptist during this time of year, but I just can't get enough of him. He is like a, a, he's like a, um, a rough-cut diamond. He's like a, a diamond in the rough that you, you hold up to the light of the kingdom of God, and, and the light reflects this beautiful, different story of the coming of Christ. But what makes the least sense 
to our Christmas sensibilities is this. Today is Peace Sunday. And John does not feel like peace. Sort of like the Santa Claus at the paddy wagon in the Milford Oval. Right? Let's read about the beautiful angels and the homey shepherds and the glowing mangers, but John's story and his person does little to appeal to our commercialized Christmas story and spirit. Peace does not come to mind, certainly. And I'm sure the people who were listening to him in the wilderness felt the same way. Now, I'm sure that you're going to have some kind of Christmas gathering at some point, but I invite you to play a word association game with your friends. Say, let's play a word association game and say, say the name John the Baptist. And my guess is there will be very few who will go, oh, peace. Disruption, maybe. Confrontation, perhaps. Interruption, yes. He interrupts our safe hallmark holiday Christmas. And that is why we need him, because the message he brings is the message that actually makes peace on earth, goodwill toward men, a reality. More than just words. More than just a song. In verse 4, we heard read to us, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Prepare the way. That's what we all do for Christmas. We spend weeks preparing for one day. But why must we heed John the Baptist's call to preparation on this Peace Sunday? Simply because what I said earlier. Jesus is our peace. There is no enduring peace without him. Do you need peace today? Do you need peace? Jesus is our peace. We need peace in the operating systems of our lives and our world. And John always redirects our attention to Jesus, the Prince of Peace. So, you know, we want to sing happy songs, and we will. And we want silent nights. All the while, John seems to interrupt all of that. He seems to interrupt our idealized visions of sugar plums dancing in our heads with his brazen declarations. John calls us to refrain from, from wrapping our souls up in Christmas decorations and pretend that all is well. Rather, John invites us to the divine work of peace within us. That peace that passes all understanding, that guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus, not about when it's all happy and gay and what we want it to be, but deeper. But here's the key about John's life. That's what John's life was about. His life wasn't about being a crazy man in the desert screaming at the people. It was about peace. And this is how we know that. When he was just a baby, the aspirations we have for a baby, we're going to dedicate a baby next week. And the aspirations we have for babies as parents often reveal our greatest hopes for them, and especially in Scripture, who they ultimately become. And so this is what 
his daddy said, Zechariah, about John the Baptist. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. This one who by the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. See, that was John's purpose. What John offers us is the way to that peace by proclaiming the way to make room for his coming. John the Baptist, this odd fellow, helps us actually sing the Phillips Brooks Christmas lyric, truly, may Christ be born in us today. So today, his words draw me in this Advent, and they help me discover what I'm calling a splinter-free Christmas. Let me explain what I mean. Finding our way to peace is trench work. It's trench work. If you want a metaphor, I want you to think about the summer ritual in New England. Do you know what the summer ritual is in New England? I'm sure you do. You've seen it. It's captured in the blinking signs that are laid all across the streets around New England. Road construction ahead. Right? That is like a New England tradition or something. And, you know, especially, I don't know if you've noticed, but they still haven't fixed 495. I, they, you know, they just go from one end to the other, one end to the other. I think it's worth repeating the words John repeats from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. Words given originally to awaiting people that are now actualized in the truth of this coming Messiah Jesus. They teach us what we are preparing for and how to prepare. Hear them again. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight and the rough ways smooth. What a word that is. Have you ever gone down the crookedest street in the world? Having dated, engaged, and married a woman from San Francisco, I've gone down Lombard Street a number of times. And if you've gone down Lombard Street, you know exactly what that's like. For just about a block or so, the road is nothing but hairpin terms and big flower pots. That's all it is. There's no other pace, and there's no pace on that road other than slow, extremely slow. But I wonder, as I was thinking towards this passage, is that a metaphor for some of us? If there was a form of a spiritual or emotional MRI that could be done, would our souls look like Lombard Street? All kind of twisted, crooked? You see, these words we read are a specific invitation to recognize that the primary plan for the coming of Christ is to make the world right. To bring God's vision of shalom. And do you know what shalom is? It's wholeness. It's salvation. It's peace. It's more than just this idea that we have of peace. It's bigger. It's deeper. To bring that to the entire world. So this is a very hopeful word, but, but where does that begin? Where does all that begin? Well, in my office, I have a quote that I look to once in a while from Alan Hirsch, and this is what it says. Your healing is the healing of the world. Your redemption is the redemption of the world. Your healing is the healing of the world. Your redemption is the redemption of the world. 
In other words, John the Baptist calls me before I look at the world and declare what it needs to be ready to receive Jesus to look at myself and declare what I need. Are we courageous enough to do that? That's, that's, that's the work. That's the word here. Before I stand and declare what the world needs to welcome Christ to receive peace, I must first start with the work God wants to do here. Maybe you remember some of those beautiful Christmas words in another portion of Isaiah. I love these words. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in a pitch-dark land, light has dawned. And that is still true. But what if we looked at these words from John the Baptist a little differently? Rather than just talking about the world getting the light. Olivia Metcalf wrote in the devotional we're looking at these words. Because the light has dawned on my darkness, I now need to examine my own heart my own actions, my own practices, my own attitudes, the systems in which I am complicit, and allow the light to shine on the places where I am the one who brings darkness and oppression and discord. Search me, O God. Search Jeff, O God. Are there places where I bring darkness, where I bring oppression, where I bring discord, disunity? That's a hard one. I think I heard someone say, ouch. I need to stop and examine my heart and ask myself, genuinely ask myself, Jeff, what deep and dark valleys in your soul do you need to allow Jesus to fill in with his grace? What valleys do I need Jesus to fill in with his grace in my life? What barriers to God's way that are mountain-type barriers that I have erected that I need to confess to him so that those barriers can be made low, allowing his will to flow in my life. What barriers do I have, have I erected between God and his will and his way and his grace and his love in the world? What crooked places do I need to be honest to God with so he can make them straight? Hear, hear what I'm saying. It's not me trying to figure out a self-help thing. It's what God will do. But I need to come to him honestly and ask God to do these things. And then what splinters that cause pain for me and others do I need to seek forgiveness for and make right so he can make the rough way smooth? What do I need sanded down in my life? What splinters do I need taken out of my life? I don't know. I don't know. Perhaps it is in the stressed relationships and anxious fears that 2021 seemed to have left behind as shrapnel. More than splinters. Shrapnel hurting people. Shrapnel. Where are the rough places that need to be made smooth? What are the splinters of choices, attitudes, actions, words that need to be sanded down by the Lord? All of this is about preparing for him to come. You know, we all have splinters. I know I do. I'm the, um, I'm the splinterest guy in the world. 
if that's a word. We all have splinters within us that God wants to remove so that we can live with peace. The peace of God found in peace with God. Bringing peace to the world. The peace of God found in peace with God. So let's ask him to prepare us for his coming by removing the splinters from our souls. And that's really the essence of preparing for the coming of Jesus then and now and for his coming again. That's really what John is saying. In Matthew's account of this, all four gospel writers write about John the Baptist. And in Matthew's account of this, we hear him preach it. Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Well, Joel Green said it this way. What is repentance? It has so much negativity built around that word. But what is it? He said, this realignment of hearts and lives in relation to God's agenda is the means by which God's people prepare the way of the Lord and make his straight's path. It's a realignment with God's way. We can push against God's way all we want. He lets us freely do that. But this is a call for us to realign ourselves with God's way. It's an invitation for all people. But if we're going to be true to the passage, if we're going to be true to the Bible, in the context of this passage, what if the first invitation is not for the one who curses God and rejects religion and rejects the church? What if the first invitation is for those like me, who have Jesus on my lips and lay claim to the name Christian? What if that's where this first turns? I, I think that is the first level here. And here's the point. Here's the whole point of the thing. Here's what we're preparing for in verse 6. All people will see God's salvation. Did you notice which people? All. All people. Is this not the greatest anticipation and hope of the coming of Christ? Isn't it? Now, now, now be ready. The comings of Christ. Isn't this the anticipation of all the comings of Christ? You see, this preparation doesn't ask us, where can I find God? But rather, am I prepared to see the God who is already coming to me? All the comings of Christ, yes. In his incarnation, we call it Christmas. God came in Jesus. But not so Jesus would be just a personal Savior, just not my personal Savior to me. This me and Jesus individualistic mantra that has embedded itself in our church today. But rather, he'd come and bring salvation to the whole world. That's in the words we just read. And yes, in his, what we call eschaton, which refers to his coming again. We believe there'll be a physical return of Jesus Christ. All things will be made right. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. That is in these words as well. But really, this is about his coming now. His being born in us today. God desires to bring salvation to the whole world, to all people. 
Because we prepare and welcome Christ to be Prince of Peace in our lives, we join his divine conspiracy to bring shalom, the shalom of God, to the world. But now catch it. This was the point that John was trying to make. As we, the people of God, catch it, as we do the messy and dirty and difficult work in our own lives of repentance, and we prepare for his coming every day, we then join God in repairing the broken roads and paths to the heart of God for all people. So how can you and I do that in our world today? This is the serious business of the Christian life. This is the serious business of the church. This is the serious business of God's people. Not the consumption of religious goods and services to have some kind of religious Christian program the way we want it. This is the call of Scripture. Not just for our social pleasure, but for the shalom of God to the world. And so, yes, then all flesh will see the salvation of the Lord as we become part of his work in making the crooked places in our world straight and the rough places smooth. And in that, in that, people will find, they will actually encounter what the Bible calls Christ in you, the hope of glory. Could you just imagine that? Could you imagine that with me? If this group that's gathered here this morning, just right here, those who are online with us right here, if what would happen if we experienced Christ in us, that we let him come to us, we opened our hearts, we started here, and we let Christ in us, the hope of glory dwell in us. Could you just imagine what would happen in our relationships, our workplaces, our homes, wherever we would go, doesn't mean everything's going to be neat and clean and tidy. But could you imagine the peace that would be brought? And that is why this odd fellow is our prophet of peace. Because peace requires you and me to allow God to do the hard work in our lives so that there is one who shines forth from us, the Prince of Peace. As we turn to the Lord's Supper, this table reminds us of the irony of our title today. A splinter-free peace. For you see, Jesus Christ endured a splinter-full cross so that you and I would find healing for our souls. Bringing together Christmas and Good Friday, the writer to the Hebrews says this, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. You know, the truth is, just about every form of fear is some kind of death. And Jesus wants to set us free with his peace. And even now, this table invites us to the one, the only way, who can make the crooked roads straight, the rough 
ways smooth, who can, who can fill in the valleys that are dark and deep where we need the grace of God, who can, who can flatten out the barriers, the mountainous barriers that we put between us and God and others. Who can make the rough ways smooth so that God can come. So the invitation as we come to the table is this, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Realign for the kingdom of God is near. Realign because Jesus has come and Jesus is coming to us right now. Jesus has come now. God with us. Emmanuel. So joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. You see, all of that begins here. Now. Not on December 25th. But now. Let us come to Christ as we come to the table of the Lord.